Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage. I'm your host, Greg Gregory, a podcast that is dedicated to the working of teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what I like to call the TLC of business. Now, why we call it the TLC of business does not mean that it's only business-related. The concepts that are shared throughout our podcast are often referred to as great learning tools for children, for families, um, volunteer organizations. So feel free to take these ideas with the guests we have and build it up and share it with everybody. Today, we're fortunate to have with us from the other side of the country, I'm outside of Washington, D.C., and we're fortunate to have with us from San Diego County, California, Gina DeLapa, and she's the president of Thriving Cultures, LLC, hence cultures is very important. And she's also the author of Thriving at Work, Make Your Mark, Lead with Confidence, Stop Out Drama, and Get Home by Six. <laughs> We got to talk about that one because I think we're home at 9 a.m. these days. So we'll talk about that part too. Stop working at six. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. As a university career counselor, Gina also noticed there was an unsettling trend that we were talking about a little earlier. And it's helping graduates get jobs. They're really good at that, but they're really not necessarily great at preparing them to succeed. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And she left the university and became certified as a corporate etiquette consultant from the prestige school called the Protocol School of Washington here in Washington, D.C., and began helping companies teach professional etiquette, something we think we would know, and yet so many of us still don't. And I say us because I'm just as probably guilty in a lot of that. Currently, she's a speaker, trainer, and coach, and she successfully taught the mindset of leadership as well as the skill set. One of the most important things is when every team member starts to work from a leadership mindset, performance will increase, drama decreases, culture becomes a competitive advantage. Uh, Gina also credits her parents going back and helping her get started in the pizza business, my favorite food, (laughs) when she got started back when you were, what, just 10 years old. Gina, it's a privilege to have you here with us on the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome. Thank you, Greg. It's a thrill to be here. I'm honored and to be talking to you and to your audience. And uh, yeah, all of this applies not only to the business world, as you said, but really all of life. So I hope uh, some of the takeaways will apply to both arenas today. And that's that's really key. And I'm excited to have you join us because your company named Thriving Cultures is just great. So tell us a little bit about how you got started. You went, uh, let's take it from the college area, you got out and you became a career counselor. And how did this all start to work? Okay. Well, um, gosh, close to 20 years ago now, Greg, I was at a crossroads. I had um, uh, my first book coming out and it was a dream come true to publish a book. It was called 401k Success Stories. I think it sold about nine copies. Um, And how many did you buy? (laughs) 10. Um, (laughs) It was was a well-written book and I was proud of it and I can brag about it because I was kind of uh, ghosting it for uh, the Financial Literacy Center as my former employer. And it, it received some wonderful endorsements and the premise of it was uh, really not my idea, but I brought it to life and so I can, I can brag about it because I can't take full credit. But after that experience, 
there was a strange emptiness of, I don't think I'm cut out to write about 401k plans the rest of my life. I don't think that's why I was put on earth. And mm -hmm. so I began to do some soul searching and lo and behold, I ordered a catalog from the University of San Diego. And by the time it arrived, Greg, I had already ruled out the program that I had originally been considering. Um, it was something to do with spiritual direction and long story short, that wasn't what I was called to do. But this catalog arrived in the dead of winter and in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there's this beautiful picture of a pristine campus with palm trees. And I thought, <laughs> I'm gonna find something in here and, you know, rock it. So I have- Having been to both uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan and San Diego County, I understand that statement. <laughs> right, I mean, you know, the state motto is, well, at least our family's here and we're not here for the weather. But um, anyway, so I found the, the career counseling program and it fit me to a T. And one of my friends who's known me most of my life confirmed this. And it just, it, from there, it happened very quickly. But as you alluded to in the introduction, I did grow up in an entrepreneurial home working in the family business. So I believe heartily in the value of work on many levels. And I know that work is so much more than a paycheck. And the career counseling degree was really a way to marry the best of my background with some of my personal traits, like being a good listener. And I thought, hey, I'm always listening to other people. Why not go get paid for it? And uh, it turned out to be the best move of my career and my life because it just put everything on a new and better track. Mm -hmm. And then that was career counseling. Then moving from there, yes. what was next? Well, I, I, what was next was graduating with a job because you don't want to be an out of work career counselor. And so I was, you know, worked at a university for four years and then came up to another crossroads. I think we all have times in our life, everyone can identify with, if I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna probably have to go outside the organization. Mm -hmm. And there were a number of factors playing into that, which I won't get into too deeply here, except that I had the best performance review of my life. And I also was told no to the two things I most wanted to do going forward. So it was kind of, uh, you know, again, if I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna have to move forward. And, mm -hmm. and I was seeing the, those cases of we're helping students get jobs. We don't prepare them for how to succeed on the job. And I was hearing from employer after employer, students aren't ready. They, they graduate and they show up with the cap on or cap on backwards and they don't know how to dress. They don't know how to conduct themselves. And there was a real frustration. And I thought, I like, love, and respect students, but I also know what they need to know, you know, and, and I can be that bridge. And so out of that came my first company, Real World Etiquette. And, um, you know, here's a tip, folks. Don't, don't pick a URL with words that people can't spell. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I love it. it was, you know, frustrating. But, but out of that, then I went to the Protocol School of Washington and, um, started doing some things just for right management, which didn't have a lot to do with etiquette, but it, you know, it gave me a starting point. Um, and from there, I did some work for Deutsche Bank on Wall Street, and then uh, some other firms on the West Coast and points in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating how that grows. And along the way, 
you, you strike me as the person who is con constantly learning as well. So you're learning Absolutely. about leadership and you're finding things that have worked. Right. And you're also seeing things that did not necessarily work. Exactly. And so you start to build that. So you started to come up to it. And where did thriving cultures come from? Well, thriving cultures really actually kind of grew out of my book, Thriving at Work, um, because I realized that it wasn't enough to help the individual. You really had to address the whole organization. And you're very intentional about this, I know, in your work from listening to talks you've given and, and so forth, that you really got to address the thriving part at a systemic level, or even better, absolutely from both from both angles. And the, the book that you mentioned before we got started here really speaks to that. Um, it, it's really not an either or, it's a both. It's both. Yeah, it, you have, mm -hmm. to, and that's where the, the real, mm -hmm. you know, it, that's where things ignite. Um, and also I wanted to have, well, the book came from my wanting to have a takeaway for people after I gave a talk or did a training, that kind of thing. But thriving cultures just, it just made all the sense in the world to me because if your culture isn't thriving, it's, you know, it's right. Dying. And it's interesting because thriving is one of my days of the week. Oh, thriving Thursday. You're thriving Thursday. I love it. I love it. So uh, I love the word thriving because it's a very powerful word. It really is. And, and it, so you, you put that and marry that with culture. It's so powerful because if I stop to think about it, a lot of companies say they have a culture. They publish that culture right and their behavior is definitely not that culture no it isn't and i think it's important to point out uh tell me if you agree greg but to me every company has a culture yes it's a it might not be a good culture it might be one that's working against you rather than mm -hmm. for you but every company has a culture and yeah, so one of the quotes that i put out one time was uh cultures are I said, how did I phrase the quote that I put out there? I says, uh, cultures are contagious. Is yours worth catching? Very good. And is it worth spreading? Yeah. Right. We're yeah. spreading. Um, so, and so you look at companies. So when you find somebody that's, you know, we've got the culture and I interrupted you, so I apologize, but we've got the culture there. So if it's not right, how do we get it right? If it is right, how do we keep it going? Okay, so let's take the first question. If it isn't right and you recognize that, you're miles ahead of people who think they're just fine. So pat yourself on the back for that. But I would start with, are we all on the same page as to what our goal here is and what, our, what business we're truly in? You would be amazed at how often not everyone's clear on that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so... For example, Nike is not in the shoe business, they're in the inspiration business. And it may sound hokey, but look at how big they are and how hard they are to compete with when, when they say, you know, we're, we exist to inspire the athlete in all of us. And, and it doesn't always have to be that flowery or profound, but there does have to be a deeper, deeper purpose. And you've got to make sure your entire team knows what it is buys into it and they're crystal clear about their role and these are not given so that's where i would start just mm -hmm. some good old-fashioned clarity so that things aren't tripping you up underneath the surface it's a lot with um simon sinek and his uh ted talk video starts yep. with why 
find the why. Find the why. And of course, in that talk, he talks a lot about Apple and they're not in the computer selling business. So it's very interesting, the same analogy you just used there with Nike. Yep. And so it's, it's so strong to understand that. Now, there's also times that, again, they say this, they think they're presenting a culture. And I had a mentor one time was talking with me about that. Mm -hmm. He went in and they said, they, this is what they believe in. They even had it up on the walls. It's always on the wall, yes. And then the behavior when he went down to interview people on the floor was, could not have been more 180 degrees. Okay. So, so you know, if they, if they don't realize it, then that's a challenge too, am I right? Absolutely, because it's not enough to, um, to have values. I mean, Enron had values with all due respect. They, they did. You're absolutely right. Well, and, and so if you're not following your values, what you're going to do is breed cynicism because you're going to reduce your culture to a, a Dilbert cartoon and you know, do better than that. So the way I think you reinforce it is that there has to be some training around what the values are. And that's a sticky, sticky subject because um, as an example, back in grad school, I had an internship with Zondervan, a part of HarperCollins. And so I was doing focus groups as I developed their, their shared values uh, program, training program for their roughly 350 employees. And somebody said very sharply, respect our time with this training. You know, you say respect is one of our company values, respect our time. So you've got to pay attention to those details, but I think the biggest key has to be accountability. Okay, we say we want respect, we want transparency. What happens if those things aren't there? Mm -hmm. How do we lovingly, professionally hold each other accountable. And people don't just know that instinctively. You've got to set the example and you've got to give right. them some training. Here's how to do it respectfully without throwing an attitude around or just playing games of gotcha. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think when you care about someone and you respect them, part of a team, you, you hold them accountable. And so that... <laughs> has to be in place. Now, before we can do that, they have to have a level of trust. Yes, they And do. both parties have to feel they've been heard. Once they do that, then they can commit and then we can, then the accountability makes it easier because otherwise we're starting to, the other person might think they're trying to come down on us if they don't feel comfortable. Right, exactly. Because, you know, you've had mentors, I've had mentors, you build up enough equity with them. They can tell you on, unpleasant mm -hmm. things and you say thank you because you know where it's coming from you know it's coming from they they have your best interest at heart so right. you're right foundation the foundation is trust and that yeah that starts with the leadership and starts with you know it's with the ken blanchard saying catch me doing something right well you know your team has to catch you as the leader doing things right right yeah. absolutely so let me ask you this Sure. A lot of folks look at culture and believe that it has to start up at the CEO and the C-suite. And typically that's correct. Yes. Can a team within, a small team within an organization have its own culture? Now, it has to be congruent with the organizations overall, but can they have their own culture that starts to do and starts to build, excuse the expression here, but groundswell and, you know, grassroots movements? I, yeah, I think they can. I think they should. Again, it's it's 
the analogy I like to use is let's dig the tunnel from both sides. Mm -hmm. You made a key point. You said it has to be congruent with the overall mission. Mm -hmm. I hate to tell you, but that doesn't always happen. It, no. it should. Um, but I have seen, uh, and universities are sort of notorious for this. The university has one mission, but then there's a school, let's say it's the business school that starts to get a reputation of its own. And they think, well, we don't even really need the university when of course they do, but you see what I'm saying? It gets this kind of runaway train with their own, mm -hmm. um, their own identity. And it, it really yeah. has to be situated within the, the overall. And a great example of that is larger universities sometimes have their values and directions going in one way, and then the athletic department can drive that in a whole different direction. And See, that, can, so. that can be a challenge. <laughs> Kidding. Yes, I've, I, I have observed that as, as well. I you know, went to a Big Ten school, and I know that that's uh, a, yeah, a very common concern. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it has to be um, under the, the overall um, mission. But yes, I, I think I think that's appropriate because you don't want um, accounting running the same way as public relations. I mean, they each have their own um, niche and their own purpose and value. Exactly. And they attack, they attract different personality types as well they should. So yeah, yeah I, I definitely think that's so, possible and advisable. So you're tying into the kind of the question, you may have already even addressed the, the next question. And that's how does the culture then start to influence the teams and the individuals within the organization? That is a good and very deep question. I, I think behavior is key. I mean, as we said, mm -hmm. you can't just go off and have a retreat and sit in beanbag chairs, and I've seen this done, and you know, come up with this, this flowery mission and all of that and think, all right, we've checked the culture box. Uh, culture as you know is it's our behavior it's how we treat each other it's how we respond to opportunity and to crisis and how we respect and and you know make admit mistakes it's all of that and so the culture has to be seen and felt mm -hmm. uh, and i think that's key it's not enough to say well, i don't know what his problem is i you know, there's no problem to me. Well, if the other person doesn't feel heard or respected, there there's a problem. So mm -hmm. it really, you know, um, Covey, Stephen Covey used to talk about that a lot, that, you know, if if you come to me and we're, say, we're co-workers and you say, you know, Gina, I have a problem with how you handled that meeting or whatever the case may be, then my response should be, well, then if you have a problem with it, then I have a problem with it. Let's talk. Let's right. find the best solution. But it isn't mm -hmm. just, well, it worked for me, so get out of here or you're on your own. It, right. uh, yeah. yeah. So let's go back now in ch to childhood, okay? You grew up in the family <laughs> pizza business. Yes. Okay. Yes. What did that teach you from an early age? Because I, like you, I grew up, my father was a, a real estate broker. And so I saw all the hours and everything that's involved in that. Yep. But what did you learn early on about entrepreneurship, leadership, and development in a pizza business? Well, okay, just to rewind a little bit, my my mother and father started this takeout pizza business in the family garage. And so they converted the garage and uh, through a host of uh, 
experiences. They, they were able to, to buy this house. It was zoned commercial. And lo and behold, and this was just a couple years before I was actually born, Greg. So uh, I literally came into the, you know, came into this entrepreneurial family. By the time I was 10, the business had moved out of the garage, obviously. It had become a frozen pizza company, frozen foods company. And yeah, I worked for the grand sum of 50 cents an hour. That was the summer after fourth grade. And I was eager to work. I was eager to join the ranks of um, mm -hmm. the working world because my three older brothers got to work and I saw my parents doing it. So I kind of wanted to be one of the gang and I was. Um, but every single night at the dinner table, whether we wanted it to be or not, was a little mini seminar on employee engagement. And we didn't have that term then, obviously. I thought you were going to tell me every night was pizza. I was like, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a lot of that, too. There was an awful lot of that, uh -huh. which, which thankfully it's a food I love. Um, but we heard about the hirings, the firings, the dramas, the the victories, all of it. And so it. I very much absorbed that. And so seeing a, a, a company from the manager's point of view was that was on full display every night. And then once I became an employee, my parents didn't have me report to them, which I'm always thankful for, because it would have been a very different experience. Yeah. Now I had to go in and hold my own and, and, you know, make it on my own. And, and I did, but that part of it taught me what the employee needs. And it taught me the employee perspective. So it's really been a gift to have both of those and to, to serve as something of a bridge between them. That, that's that's awesome because you saw it early on from both sides. Very when, much. Before, in my book, One yeah. Team, One Dream, it's so important to see things from each other's side. And you just validated that because being able to see from the owner's side and the manager's side, Right. as well as the employee side. Exactly. And and my parents themselves, my mother and my father had very different management styles and so forth. So I learned from both of them. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my dad was the wild, still is the wild eyed risk taker. And um, yeah, but. And your mom was very conservative, softer, did not want to take as much risk. Yeah. And your like, parents could be my parents at that point. Yes. <laughs> Must be a, a generational thing, but I wouldn't trade them. Trade either of them. I went and saw them last week in Grand Rapids. Spent a little over a week with them, and yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that was my parents. It actually was my wife and myself as well. Um, I will take risk, and she says I got to keep your feet on the ground every now and then. So, well, yeah, I think every entrepreneurial enterprise needs someone to make sure that. Um, there's going to be, you know, money in the till three years from now and someone mm -hmm. else to uh, make sure that payroll goes out on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you need so both. let's let's look now. So now we've talked about the employee engagement a little bit, and we're going to get into that a little bit more. Okay. We've talked about the culture and the leadership in your book. OK, uh, and the whole title of the book, I want to say it again, is thriving at work. Make your mark. Lead with confidence stomp out drama and get home or out of the office by six. Okay. So you talk about the seven C's of leadership. Yes. In that book. That's, I mean, we don't have time right here to go through all seven C's. And by the way, I have downloaded that book on audible. So um, that's, it's, it's a powerful way to listen to books. So I can't tell people enough about how good audible is to be able to listen to it. I do it when I walk the dog, when I'm in the car, things of that nature. So yep. 
but let's talk here. The one that I was looking at, I really loved, and I'm going to take right out of your book, the competence. And you start off with a quote from Billy Joel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've reached the age where competence is a turn on. I love that. When you so don't true. know something, how willing are you to ask the question and listen to learn new skills? That is that shows that, that builds what I teach a lot and focus on it, vulnerability trust. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about competence. I mean, you've got competence, character, courage, a lot of those. Well, okay. Competence is pretty foundational. I mean, there's a reason it's right underneath character. Um, here's, here's what, Greg, I'm sure you've witnessed this a hundred times as I have. Somebody, let's say, is an excellent salesperson. And so you are such a good salesperson. We're going to make you the manager. Err, yeah. Well, that happened to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just such a common thing. And so what happens in a company is you just lost your best salesperson and you got a lousy manager, or I, I shouldn't say a lousy manager. It, it doesn't mean you can't excel as a manager, but a lot of times when people go into a leadership, formal leadership role, they underestimate what it takes and they, they cling to what they're good at and what they know because it's comfortable and familiar and who wouldn't stay in that end of the pool. Uh, so competence speaks to competence to the role that you're in. And, you know, I've met so many managers, including new managers who, who think, oh, I don't need any coaching. I don't need any training. And it's like, th this is, you know, it's like going from high school to college. It's not going to a management role is not a, a it's not 13th grade. You know what I'm saying? It, it's a quantum leap. And uh, you've got to develop the skills and be aware of what you don't know. And I think that's where a lot of people fall down. So, Great. yeah. So that's, so grab a couple of others. Again, we don't have time for all seven of them, but give me a couple of others. What are the ones that you feel kind of pop off the page at you? Well, gosh, uh, you know, credibility is sort of the, the capstone one. It's the one that if you do one through six character, competence, courage, confidence, communication class, credibility will mm -hmm. naturally follow. Communication is pretty, pretty big and, and courage for the times that we're going through. Um, courage to say, I don't have all the answers, but this is what I'm doing and staying transparent. Nobody these days expects that the news is always going to be rosy, but they do expect that there's going to be some uh, leveling with the team mm -hmm. and, and uh, timeliness and, and transparency, communication, it's, communication is more important than ever because we're so disjointed, we're all so distracted. You could talk to any person on your team and each of them will have a volume of things that they're going through right now outside of work. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it's important. And that's, that's never been more important than the last number of months dealing with this pandemic is, you know, parents are trying to educate at home. They've got, they're around the house. They've got, and I've, I, I have worked from home for over 20 years. So for me, it's not a huge transition. Um, it's just that I'm not out on the road nearly as much. So I'm used to some of this concept of working from home. The interesting part is other people though, bringing it in and with everybody there, we're now missing a lot of communication at the water coolers. We're missing that. The nuance. The yes. nuances of some of that. So now we're communicating over Zoom, over Microsoft Teams, any of those other platforms. 
and we're missing a lot there. Do you have any tips in dealing with communication that way? Yes, I I would say first err on the side of over-communicating. And that means keeping your team up to date, but also listening. Listening is a highly underrated part of communication. Um, You've got to listen for what's not being said. You've got to be proactive and, and ask, what would be helpful for me to know about you right now? Um, and, and create a place where people can do that safely. I think uh, another aspect, Greg, of communication that's incredibly important right now is appreciation. It's almost like you can't appreciate your team enough right now because everybody's struggling and mm-hmm. you can't assume that, what do you mean? I, I told you last year at our performance review how, how much I appreciate you. That's not enough. You and it's also got to come you know, laterally now as well, equally as yes. much. Right, that's true. And and a leader, um, a manager can encourage that and should encourage that, that it's mm-hmm. not just the leader having a bunch of one-on-one relationships. It's, oh, talk, you know, get the team talking to each other. I think I, I may have said this, you got to be proactive, not, oh, I thought you knew. Um, and I think the last thing is a principle I read many years ago and wholeheartedly believe in, you have to communicate not just to be clear, but you have to communicate so clearly you cannot be misunderstood. You know, most people just communicate to get by. And right. now you've got to, because nuance, as you said, is lost when we're not face-to-face, when there's not that immediacy of, oh, we got the new account or, and celebrating in that moment, uh, something gets stripped out with Zoom and email and Slack and all of those. So Um, Actually, can I add one more? I think it'd be helpful for people. Mm -hmm. And that is choose the right channel for communicating. Um, If you're communicating, and I saw your expression there. Yeah. Communicating something emotional, don't do it in a text. You know? So anyway, you could probably say more about that, but I think you know Mm -hmm. where I'm coming from. Exactly. Now I want to come back on listen in a second, but I want to hit one of the other C's. Okay. Because I personally think this is really critical and that's the class and that's being able to communicate and in your bios and the things that I've read about you online, it's the ability to communicate with frontline all the way through. Yes. And I did a training program one day where the, one of the executives was there. He was amazed at the way that I was able to communicate with trained workers as well as the mid management staff. And I didn't lose either one of them. I've communicated at high schools with students and parents, and I'm able to reach both of them in the same conversation. That is so critical it is. in business. So how do you recommend people really build and do that today? Okay. Well, there's a quick story I heard years ago about Mother Teresa, of all people, who, who mm-hmm. apparently from those who met her, they said, when you talked to Mother Teresa, you were the most important person in the room. And so I think... I think that's step number one. And I, I tell a story in the, the book about, I was uh, volunteer teaching one day at a, an urban middle school and the kids were talking about a teacher who apparently was, she said, one student spoke up and said, she's always talking about so-and-so, her miracle baby. And this 13 year old girl said, he ain't my miracle baby. <laughs> it's kind of like, praise the person in front of you, not the person who's out of the room. Um, uh, there was something else that's going to add to that. I think if you can get the concept of meet people where they are, not where mm-hmm. you are. 
So for example, when you're talking to the, the person in, let's say maintenance, you, you tune into what's important to them and you affirm them. You don't say, mm -hmm. yeah, well, wait till I tell you about my class ring or, you know what I'm saying? You don't yeah. put something out there. That's and, and it's not about dumbing down to somebody No, it is Not no, at all. Not at all. In exactly. fact, I think, um, I, I think the way you connect with people instead of dumbing down, it lifts them up. And I think humor is a good way mm -hmm. when you're, when you trust somebody to get your sense of humor, that's a high compliment. And it's a, a very strong connection. You don't have to be a comedian, but um, put your focus where it belongs. And you'll notice right now, I'm not checking my watch or my phone or talking to someone else in the room. It's us. And, right. and that's what's most important. So uh, just treat that person in front of you with all the importance in the world. And uh, it just it, beyond that, it just takes practice. But right. yeah, right. It's, a, it's a rare gift. And so I applaud you for having that gift and recognizing how important it is. And that's, that's it's something that I learned from my father and everybody else. So again, our upbringing comes into play. Yes. So yes. let me ask you now, we talked about listen. I want to go back on communication and listen here. Okay. There's so many stories about bad listeners and everything else. If you had to summarize, give me three or four quick tips for people to be better listeners. Any, any suggestions for our listeners? Because keep in mind, our, our audience here literally ranges from the frontline trades worker all the way through the C-suite. So that's, that's really key. So what can we do about being better listeners? I, I guess number one, uh, make it a priority and mm -hmm. tell yourself, I'm not going to just pretend you can't fake good listening, right? You, you but if you care about it, that's 80%. I think the mm -hmm. rest is just skill development. But again, turn off your ringing phone, eliminate the distractions. You have to communicate verbally and non-verbally that the person in front of you is important and uh, be willing to hear what they say, even you don't have to agree with it. I think that's a, a stumbling that's, block. That's absolutely important. Yeah, I think that's a stumbling block. Oh, if I listen, then I'm going to have to do what they that person says or, you know, <laughs> and it, it isn't about that. I would <clears> say <throat> consciously set aside your own agenda, your own response. Um, it's not just waiting for the other person to stop talking. Um, and I think summing, summing up what they said. So if if I'm hearing you correctly, your concerns are this. And if we did this, that would be more acceptable. Am I hearing that correctly? Check in, uh, because that's a sign of respect too. Mm -hmm. And once in a blue moon, I see this backfire. There was somebody once I was having a kind of an emotional non-work exchange with, and I said something like, you know, sounds like you're feeling frustrated. And I was just trying to affirm the other person. And I think what came back was, duh, you know, so <laughs> there is that. But you got to be willing. That's mm -hmm. part of being vulnerable, I guess. But, but the reflective listening can can also backfire if it's too much. Um, right. You don't want to over-identify. The number of times I've called customer service mm -hmm. and they say to me, Mr. Gregor, if I understand your situation, this is what you say, da-da-da. Mr. Gregor, if I understand this is what you... We don't need to do it every time. Right. We're, we're not having a moment here. I just want to get my you know, delivery kind of thing. It's right. So uh, you got to understand how to reflective listen correctly to bring, bring us back on point, make sure we're online. 
Right. And, and I don't know if this plays in here or not, but I've, I've heard it said, don't correct, redirect. And mm. I, I like that phrase. Focused on solving the problem. We're not here to, you know, we're not here to, to have a drama fest or to rehash complaints. Let's just fix the problem and let's move forward. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but yes, the other person just needs to feel heard. And uh, I can think of a, a job I had many years ago. I was a newsletter editor and the newsletter went to, it was a kind of a sponsored publication. And so companies all over the country would personalize it uh, with their information. But inevitably on Monday mornings, I'd get calls, client number such and such is really frustrated about this article that you ran or whatever the case was would be. And I'd have to call them and, and say, you know, hi, I'm Gina DeLapa. Some days I'm prouder of that than others or something a little disarming. But if they felt heard, even if we weren't able to change the situation, most people just want to be heard. They don't need to persuade you. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind when you're listening. Yeah. That and they don't want to be, they don't want to feel like they're talking to a robot. No, or a textbook. You know what right. I'm saying? It's not exactly. It's not and there's a lot in the IT world today where knowledge information, so they've got huge knowledge bases. So when, again, a lot of our listeners are in the IT world. So right. they will go to their thing and type up, you know, the challenges somebody's experiencing and it brings up on their screen possible answers. Don't, don't just read that to them. Let's, let's engage Move with Move forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and mm -hmm. listen for the underlying uh, emotion, so it's, whether it's frustration or uh, impatience, whatever it is. And, you yes. know, it's hard. And, you know, let's face it, Greg, men and women communicate differently. Is that a fair statement? Really? I had no idea. <laughs> I, I know. I'm rocking your world right back here. here. But uh, anyway, Dave Barry said, uh, well, I won't go there. It's, it's kind of an irreverent example. But men are very literal and direct and women are often nuanced. You mm -hmm. know? And the challenge is sometimes if, if that's the belief that we have, yeah. and then all of a sudden, somebody doesn't fit that stereotype, then all of a sudden it throws our brains for a loop. Yes. Okay. That and that, be that, Cause that's the challenge. My wife was a very direct person and there are times that I sit back and I'm a little bit less direct. So it kind of plays with people's minds. So. Right. Well, and I have three older brothers, so generally I'm pretty direct, but sometimes one mm -hmm. of them will say, I'm not sure I understand what you want me to do here. Or you'll, they'll ask for more clarity. Mm -hmm. and, and that's comfortable. We've got to feel comfortable in doing that. We do. We do. Now, in the few minutes we've got left. Yes. In your book, I, I've never seen anybody address this before in a book. Oh. So I'm really fascinated to hear your take on some of this. Okay. okay. Drama. <laughs> the D word. Yes. The D word. Not the yes. B word. The D word. Yes. Drama. So in your book, you address what is drama. And there's different examples of workplace drama that we get. Talk to us a little bit about maybe how we can break some of that down and not offend somebody. Okay. Well, again, maybe it goes back to that don't correct, redirect. Because, mm -hmm. um, I love that statement. Thank you. There are a lot, there's so many examples of drama, but drama is often a caricature of something good. So the person who says, you know, who plays the martyr at work and you know, like no one works as hard as I do. Well, you know, it's good that you have a strong work ethic. Mm -hmm. What What about balance? Might that be something that we want to aim for as well? Um, but, but drama is an unhealthy 
response to um, the, the drama of you and I are gonna team up and be our own little team or click at the expense of the rest of the team. See, that's not sustainable. That's not no. life-giving. No. No. Uh, so, so how do you get away from that? Um, I think one is, you know, when someone comes and spills drama, well, am I the person who should be listening to this? So, you know, if, if I'm blabbing to you about John, you're, you would be in with your rights to say, well, why don't we go to John and talk to him directly? <laughs> or what would happen if you took this to John? You see what I'm saying? It, mm -hmm. And it's, so it's talk more to the person than you do about them. Exactly. Talk to them and with them as opposed to about or behind them. Right. But Greg, there, as you know, there are a lot of principles in that chapter, which I purposely kept the smallest chapter in the book because drama, let's not give it its, you know, give it more attention than it deserves. But here's an overriding principle that your uh, listeners can, can use on the job and off. It's to say quietly to yourself when someone is spewing drama, especially when it's a pattern, if you're going to do drama, you're going to do it without me. And what that means is I'm not going to listen to the endless complaints. I'm not going to listen to the gossip about someone else. Or if you come into my office and take 45 minutes to tell me how overworked you are, that conversation is going <laughs> to end. We I'm reminded. All know those people. You, we've yeah. all known those people. They sit down and, you know, no one's working harder than me. And you just, you gently stand up and say, well, back to work and show them the door. And, <laughs> and I, I remember years ago, there was a person who worked in my office who was constantly complaining about being overworked. And I've developed the, the philosophy that says, he who complains about being overworked is nowhere near as overworked as the person who is not complaining. Very good point. In fact, Zig Ziglar said something about that. Uh, our friend, your friend Zig Ziglar, my, I was just a kind of a fan of his, but he said something like, notice how the people who have nothing to do always want to do it with you, you know? And so, and so, his, his repertoire of quotes is just mind-boggling. Yes, it is. So you can, you know, respond uh, kindly to the person and let them have their dignity, but um, yeah, drama, a drama-free workplace is really really has to be part of the part of the culture culture yeah it's like life is hard enough without mm -hmm. infighting so and then decisions need to be based around the culture and the team has to be built with that culture not that we've got identical minds what i would refer to as a stepford wives example <laughs> but we've got to have we've got to have a culture that's there and that's so powerful right yes yeah, we have, we've, wow, I can't believe what time it is already. We've covered a lot here today. Uh, again, if you just want to tell folks about your book, go ahead and hold your book up for us. I think for those who are watching on video and for those who are listening, um, after this is out, we'll talk to you about how you can find this again on video. It's yes. Driving at Work, uh, Make Your Mark, Lead with Confidence, Stomp Out Drama, and Get Home by Six, or in today's world when we're working from home, get out of your office by six. And that's key. Listen. I work in my office. I literally will shut down at a certain point and yep. I walk out of the office and I don't want to do anything else with work. And I think that's so important. I think it's crucial to avoiding burnout and to maintaining engagement on the job, having a- even Our own engagement, not necessarily engagement of others. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
play. So yeah, I mean, the book is available. If you just want a, a single copy, I would just simply go to Amazon and type mm -hmm. in Thriving at Work. Uh, there are two Thriving at Works on Amazon, but mine's the one with the pretty blue and white cover. <laughs> <laughs> just ask me. And um, But if you want it in quantity, um, I think there, there may be some construction on my site, but go to my site, which is ginadelapa.com, G-I-N-A-D as in David, E-L-A-P-A, and you can navigate to the store and uh, I can get this for you in quantity and get it sent to you directly. Um, yeah, very, very easy to do. So if you want it for you know, a team or that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, yeah, more than happy to. And I'll go ahead and put a link for uh, your website to your store page. Thank you. Um, on the uh, broadcast, when we put it all out that way, so people can wonderful. click on the link from their phones or wherever they're listening here. Yeah, wonderful. I, I think we helped some people thrive today, Greg. I hope so. Yes, and you too. Gina, my philosophy is very simple in life, and that is do not have a good day because having a good day is just being average. Don't have a good day. Go out there and make it an exceptional day. Oh. One of my coaches used to say, have an excellent and exceptional day every day. Gina, thanks once again. Until next week when we have another guest on the Teamwork Advantage, go out and make your day excellent and exceptional. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.